Welcome back to the self-care unit. This week for Mental Health Matters, we are joined by Case Kenny. Case is the author behind the New Mindset Journal, and that's bold of you, as well as the producer of New Mindset Buddhist podcast. Case is also just an incredible resource for guidance and advice from relationships to mindfulness to living fulfilled lives. So thank you for being with us today. We're excited. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How are you doing overall right now? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, traveling a bit, um, but you know, I get to do what I love every single day, which uh, is a gift. So uh, I rarely say I'm not good because I genuinely feel good. I'm privileged. That's I need that. <laughs> yes, I just work <laughs> yeah, two like yeah. back to back shifts, nursing world. So I'm like, okay. Oof. Yeah, that's some contrast for you there. Wow. No, it's just day one is always great. And then Sarah, you might attest to this, but day two sometimes and you have the same patience and you're like, guys, everything was fine yesterday. What is going on today? I left you alone for 12 hours. And then day three is like, you're just like, you never know. It could be really, really good or you're just like getting hammered and it's it's rough, but that's okay. Sometimes it's three good shifts, you know? That's what we're rooting for. Yeah, um, I just got back from... Miami for the SEIU Nurse Power Conference, and we had nurses from across the country. It was absolutely amazing, and um, basically helping nurses organize across the country and help support patients through collective action and making healthcare better through standardizing safe staffing and holding our institutions accountable. So that was really great. But I am super a casual. Jet lagged, so <laughs> apologies. And then we're heading to DC next week. For anyone who listened to our workplace violence episode, um, I'm heading to DC with Impact in Healthcare to uh, lobby for safe staffing standards as well as uh, workplace violence prevention for healthcare workers. And we have like 30 plus meetings. It might be closer to 50 meetings with lawmakers um, on Tuesday. So that's really, really exciting. It's sad we have to do this. It's sad we have to be face to face with lawmakers to kind of deter them from listening to um, lobbyists who might not be uh, advocating in our best interest, but excited to be representing healthcare across the country. So next week's going to be great. And then I'm going to take a long nappy la- nappy nap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and I will be dancing at a wedding. Uh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> We're proud of you, Sarah. Way to kick ass out there. So, Case, can you take us back to the beginning? If you're comfortable with sharing, what situation or personal light bulb moment, if there was one, um, happened that inspired you to help others with their mental health? Yeah, I mean, the 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 two minute version instead of the long version is. I mean, so I'm 35 now. I started this when I was 28, 29. Um, I had a whole career before I did this. I worked in in sales, um, led a sales team, and really there was just a point when I was you know twenty twenty nine where, I, you know, being a very type A ambitious person, I was just like, man, it, it would be unfortunate to look back and realize that I didn't take time to challenge myself, like my inner self. Like I had spent so much effort focused on the outer self, the career, the direction, the confidence, the ambition, all these things, and it was kind of misaligned with the inner self, which was you know, unsure, borrowing, rushed, all these things. And being a type A person, I was just kind of 
you know, dis- not dis- but frustrated by the fact that there was an outer self and inner self. And I was like, I want to be the same person on the inside and out. I want to challenge myself. I don't want to look back and realize that I was borrowing goals, borrowing ambitions, borrowing timelines, because that's what you do. So basically, my my solution was I started this podcast and I really started it for myself um, and uh, just to ask myself questions. Why? Why do I feel this way? What is my goal? So on and so forth. And to do it in a vulnerable medium, which was podcasting. And, um, you know, basically what I realized through that practice was I was practicing mindfulness. I was practicing the art of putting my feelings on trial. I was practicing the art of um, just self Q&A. And, you know, five years later, really the, the rest is history. You know, obviously I, I do it full time now with Sirius and, you know, I write and I do all these things. But um, it was really just the, you know, the exploration of this topic of mindfulness for myself that I realized what an applicable thing it is you know, any, any endeavor into mental health requires mindfulness. I think sometimes we skip that step. We're like, we want to help with mental health. Well, the first step is, is mindfulness. It's honesty with oneself so that you can then apply things that can aid in in your mental health and your evolution. So, you know, for me, it's just literally just been a, an exploration into myself, sharing that with other people. And it's been, you know, incredible to see so many people rally around the things I talk about because they are so relatable and because I think the human experience is more common than we think. It's very easy to think we're alone in a lot of areas of life and, you know, having done the pod for so long and, you know, writing online and, you know, kind of being that public figure for feelings sharing. It's been really cool to see the, you know, the, how universal some of these things are. And um, yeah, and, you know, it's just cool to kind of, you know, look at my evolution over time. Like I'm totally different person at 20, 25, 30, 35. And, um, I think mindfulness, uh, just the idea of, you know, I share my feelings for a living has allowed me to, you know, to change and, and embrace that and, you know, learn from other people along the way. So that's the, that's the short answer, but, um, really just a kind of a, you know, exploration into myself that has obviously turned into something bigger than myself. So that's cool too, because everything is out there in the world. So you can kind of see your own timeline based on what you've already posted and stuff like that and your progression oh, yeah. all of that. And we need that vulnerability because I I was listening to your podcast. It was about how it's it's important to not let other people's feelings and emotions come on to you. And I thought that is so like in nursing wise, Sarah and I talk about this all the time, like try to practice what you preach. And I'm always like, take care of yourself. You know, their issues don't have to be yours. And then I go home and I'm like swallowing everybody's emotion throughout the whole day and their anger and their pain. And then I'm just rotting in my room. Like, why do I feel this way? And so it's really important. I was just thinking about healthcare, about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot. I mean, that, that is like a small microcosm of the larger human experience. I mean, like, it's a good thing. I mean, it's kind of a good thing that you're empathetic in that Mm -hmm. sense, because there are people who are not affected at all by other people. And that's a cold world to be in. Um, you know, so for the feelings people, for the empathetic people, for the people who, you know, um, you know, are affected by other people, there's, you know, a, a certain need, of course, to, you know, draw a line between your emotions and their emotions and like what we take in, what we can control, what we can't control. Um, and that's where the, the gift of honesty with yourself comes into play. Yeah. So I, I relate Boundaries. to Boundaries. Yes. <laughs> I think like introspection is so powerful and um, especially in my own healing journey. And I think it's so relevant to healthcare because we are quick to become numb to our situations, especially as they escalate and become more traumatic. And 
and then we're also gaslighted while working in healthcare <clears throat> that our experiences are normal because we work in deeply human settings and that our emotions in response to them just need to be set aside. And I think the first step for us as a collective to begin to heal is truly looking inward and deciding whether or not we want this reality to continue. And if we can take that first step to decide if this is the reality we want for ourselves and changing our own, um, our own ability to kind of resist against, against that reality. So I think it's crucial, the work that you're doing case, because we get numb at a certain point working in healthcare. And that numbness leads to depersonalization and our humanity is kind of ripped away from us. And when we get to look inward, see how we've changed in response to our environments and kind of do an outside looking in perspective and say, wow, I am so sad that I am becoming this person that I never thought I would be because of my role. How do I take a step back and get back to who I was and then take it a step further? How do I build a stronger self so that I don't put myself into that situation again, that I resist um, the environment that's harming me? How do I help ensure that this doesn't happen to other people? And just working in a deeply human role, you don't want people to begin to become numb in response to their work. And so this is so incredibly crucial. You said, say something, um, do things you're good at and drawn to. It's something that your parents told you. And I think that's really important parental advice. Um, but as it relates to like working in healthcare, <laughs> sometimes we do things that are, sometimes we get like almost pushed into these roles and we're not necessarily like good at them or as drawn to them. Some of us are artistic in nature and we kind of get robbed of that opportunity to seek something like that. So what are your thoughts on that? I hope that made sense. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah. all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I gave a speech yesterday um, for a, for a corporate group and we were talking about the concept of Ikigai, which is the Japanese concept of like what your life purpose is. Iki means life. Guy means like meaning, like what is the meaning of life? And you've probably seen it. It's that Venn diagram, right? Of like what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can get paid for. And then like what you, what you actually enjoy doing. And like the overlap of those things is what is your ikigai, what you're supposed to do in life. And, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure to find that thing, the sweet spot. And I think it could take a long time. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we try to rush to find that thing. And we throw ourselves into this thing that we've been told maybe is ikigai in, you know, Western terms. And, um, you know, I, I think it it's well-serving, of course, to really question yourself of, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is this, is this my thing? Am I just borrowing? But I mean, I think a, a core component of figuring that out is allowing yourself to, to try different things. I mean, you know, for myself, when I, my early education was through Waldorf school and Montessori, which is like a learn through play kind of style, very different from like traditional Western education. And I think for me, that really, the whole idea was like, if you're curious about it, you try it and you you throw yourself into it. So for me, I've always been incapable of like separating like what I'm curious about with like my career. That's how I ended up doing like a lot of music stuff now is because I enjoy music and I am good at mindfulness and writing. I have to find a way to make them work together. And I have. So I you know my example might 
be uh, a bit extreme, but I think there's always opportunity to balance the pragmatic with the curious. That is the reality of being alive is you have to pay the bills. You have to do things. I think there's always an opportunity, you know, regardless of where that exists on your passion spectrum, there's always an opportunity to, to amplify it and augment it with the other elements of, of Ikigai. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think that's always up to the individual and there's no blueprint ever for that. I think there's certainly something to be said about, you know, if you're feeling pressured to do something, whether it's by your parents or by an institution or by friends or by culture at large, I think we should always listen to that. If we're feeling pressured and not ready or just not aligned, we should always take a step back and ask ourselves why. Um, you know, there could be many reasons why. It could come from something in adolescence. Um, it could be a rebellion type thing. It could be a, a, a fear of commitment type thing. But I think there's always room to examine that. But I'm, I'm a pragmatic person. I'm never one to sit down and be like, you should only chase passion in life and everything else, forget about it. Like, being alive comes with reality. And I think that I think a lot about the idea of like leverage in life. And, you know, for me, I, I worked my uh, the sales job for eight years, um, maybe like four of that while three of that while doing the podcast at the same time. And I was under a lot of pressure, all my mentors and all the creative people said, if you're not all in, you're all out. Like case you have to go all in with your podcast, you have to go all in with your writing, screw your corporate job, let go of everything you've worked for. And as much as I'm a big proponent of like taking risks and taking leaps, like leverage, specifically, you know, financial leverage is the greatest gift you can give yourself when you have it so that you don't make decisions out of desperation. I could have quit my job right when I started the podcast because it started to do well, but I know it would have happened. I would have started, I would have taken every brand deal that came my way. I would have said yes to every guest. I would have said yes to all these things that really diminished the vision that I had. And I just know I, at this point in my life, I would be looking back and be like, man, I, I rushed that. I, I made the wrong decision because of, you know, this common advice. So I don't know if there's a good answer in there. I think it lies within the idea of mindfulness that if you're feeling rushed or you're feeling misaligned, the solution is to ask yourself why and then to do something different. Try something different. Add it to the mix. You don't have to move cities and, you know, cut your hair. You just literally just try something different, add it to the mix and, and see how that makes you feel and just continue to adapt and readapt. Um, we have more time in life, certainly, than I think we give ourselves credit for. I mean, I changed careers at 33. So, um, you know, and there's many, many stories of that. And I think, you know, practicing a little bit of patience goes a long way. That's my answer. <laughs> Yeah, I love what you said too about just because like you might have a passion for something. But so for me, I I love nursing. I used to, at one point almost had a uh business route which just if you if anybody knows me, it just cracks me up because like 9 to 5 me in an office, there is no way in hell I would have survived. Mm. I just cannot. <laughs> I need to be moving and doing. But with nursing, when I have those days where I'm sitting here and thinking okay, you're supposed to love what you do. And I can say today, I did not love, I did not love it. <laughs> I am tired. I like cried in the break room. Like it just was really hard. And then you're sitting there, like I'm thinking existential, like my whole life needs to change. Should I have yeah. this career? And there's just so much pressure, I think also to love what you do every single minute. And I mean, I think we need to be human about it. Like there's going to be hardships. There's good days. There's bad days. And I just, I, a lot of that pressure I take with me, like, am I not a good nurse? Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that big time. I mean, not to like 
like I believe in wild optimism and hope and all these things, but I also believe in a heavy dose of reality. And the reality is that there's no perfect scenario for your job and your calling. Like for, for me, I used to work in sales. I hated it and I loved it. And I always thought, oh, once I work for myself, it'll be great. Now that I work for myself and I can do literally anything I want every single day, I also hate it and I also love it. There's always downsides to doing whatever you want. Even if you're a musician and people are like, oh my gosh, can you imagine being a musician? All you get to do is just create music and share love. It's horrible and it's great. Like that's the reality of life. And I'm not, I think there's so much empowerment in realizing that. Certainly because we're always glamorizing the other side. And I think finding commonality in the middle allows us to em embrace the middle which is an opportunity to take care of what we need to take care of responsibility for ourselves, health, family, partners, and then add to the mix something else. I mean, that's the gift of working, I suppose, in 2023, you know, outside, you know, obviously, I don't know a lot about nursing, but it sounds like, you know, scheduling can certainly be a, a point of, of friction and can <laughs> grind you down. But I'm sure there's always opportunity to add to the mix so that you could start to round out that ikigai. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think that could, can take time, but that's the gift of being alive in the digital age and the age of, you know, um, some more flexibility than maybe was in the past. Yeah. And there's so much you can do with nursing too, which is great. So like Sarah is no longer a bedside nurse and she does all this advocating on the outside. So yeah, she's incredible. taking ass from within. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the genesis of where I'm at, as well as like where Shannon McPeak from Operation Happy Nurse, where she's at. All of this started with our love for nursing, our love for working in healthcare, our love for our patients, and understanding that all of that love can push our work forward and also seeing the impacts of our own mental health and how that was detrimental to us continuing in this role and seeing it being unsustainable, seeing that there was absolutely no way for us to continue in that traditional role as nurses and instead creating something new that didn't exist for healthcare workers mm -hmm. to hopefully ensure that people can stay in these fields long-term and that they get their passion back, that they are supported enough to sustainably care for patients for years and years and years. And who knows if we didn't have that ability or capacity to take that brave leap to do something a little bit different that was really uncomfortable and also you know it's contract work like I never know <laughs> if I'm gonna have enough funds to make rent three months from now and that's really scary but I also know that this is so important this is the only path forward for me and that's okay too and I'm gonna figure it out <laughs> oh I love that I mean that's that's optimism rooted in, you know, confidence in yourself. I mean, I, I think a lot about the ideas of like ego and, um, you know, and hope and typically ego is like kind of villainized, right? If you ever read Ryan Holiday, ego is the enemy. It's like ego is the, the enemy of the one's self. But I think there's a really healthy side to ego, which says that doesn't say I'm better than anyone or I deserve this or I deserve that. It literally just says, I believe that whatever I do and whatever happens, I can react to it. And that's a healthy side of ego that's, of course, balanced by confident, confidence in oneself and one's skills with also just, you know, a sense of hope in humanity and hope in life and hope in, you know, clarity. So, I, you know, I think we owe it to ourselves in moments where we don't know what the future holds 
is to to ground ourselves in a, a little bit of ego that says, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen four months from now, but like I've gotten this far. I have these skills. I know what I, I'm capable of. And I'm going to use that to have some belief in myself moving forward. Um, and I think it's helpful. Speaking of ego, because I, I love this idea. You came out with a book called That's Bold of You. And for someone that I always felt like I had to condense myself to make other people happy, what what were the meaning? Like, why did you write that? Like, what were you feeling? And did you struggle with this in your own life? Like feeling too much or too loud or too everything? Because I just that I really, like, I just feel that in my soul. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a pretty universal thing. It's like the, the book is basically a war on labels, um, specifically the ones given to us and the ones that we then assume are true, right? Humans are, we're, we're silly and we're also awesome. Like someone calls us difficult or too much or too loud or too quiet or too this or too that happens a couple times in our lives. We start to think maybe it's true and we start to become, you know, adopt that label. And basically the book was a, a, a venture into redefining yourself outside of the lines of, of any label that might come your way. Um, and you know, I think in the process of that, it really, it's just a, a very simple look into mindfulness, which is a, a peeling back of who you are versus who you're told to be or who you're told you are, how in the various ways in which you're misunderstood. I mean, the opening chapter, one of the opening chapters of the book is about this, um, idea of called the beautiful mess effect, which was this thing studied by psychologists, which, you know, basically shines light on kind of how hypocritical sometimes we are and unfair to ourselves we are in that we'll look at other people and in this case specifically the idea of vulnerability and we'll say man i love vulnerable people i love people who are weird wacky wild crazy honest these things in other people but then when we ourselves think about being weird wacky wild crazy vulnerable we're like well everyone else is going to hate that i can't be that person because people hate that and it's this weird dichotomy between how we look at other people, the behaviors we praise in other people, but ourselves. No, that would make me crazy. That would make me difficult. That would make me too much. And it was basically a study that proved that that is like 100% of the time we admire traits in other people, but we, just, we think that people hate them in ourselves. It's this weird, illogical way to look at life and our sense of self. And um, I remember reading that a couple of years ago. And I was like, man, we need to peel back the layers of why. Why is that the case? Why is it that we might say one thing, but judge ourselves in a completely unfair way? Um, and I think it's just so sorely needed nowadays where the internet will just beat you up and tell you that you are this way or someone said something to you and you believe it to be true and it's just not fair to ourselves. So really, it's just a, a book about being bold in the pursuit of how you look at yourself, the labels you give yourself, and the way that a lot of life is about unlearning and unbecoming. Um, and I really believe that I think, you know, your, your teens and your twenties and your thirties are about going out and being a sponge and absorbing and experiencing. And I think, you know, parallel to that, it's about letting go of the things that you have sponged up that don't apply to you. And I think we forget that step a lot. We just, we take on and we take on and we take on, we, we forget that it's not our role to hang on to all these things. It's our role to learn from them and let go of what is not us. And so it's, you know, life is, a, is the, the balance between becoming and unbecoming. And I think we need to unbecome more than we become. Um, and I think that's the, that's the key to life, specifically with the words we use, uh, whatever it may be. So for nurses in particular, it can be really hard to keep a positive mindset when we're faced with our realities, which include traumatic situations that we see and linger 
beyond our shifts. So are there any sort of mindfulness techniques that you would suggest for someone just struggling to stay present in the day-to-day and especially shift work? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think a lot about, you know, within the scope of the power of presence, the power of hope, like where these things come from. And there's lots of different ways to slice and dice it. I think a a really powerful way um, that's deeper than that, that I think will aid in that is the idea of forgiving yourself. Um, You know, the, the idea of, of allowing yourself to move forward amidst times where you're confused or hurt or misunderstood or burned out or whatever these things are. You know, I think a life where you're, you forgive yourself is a, is a life where you're filled with the things that come from that, namely optimism and hope. And there was a quote I read online, someone on Reddit wrote it and then literally just disappeared. A random person wrote it and it's always stayed with me. This person said, the difference between a head full of memories and a head full of regret is your ability to forgive yourself. And I remember seeing that like, man, that's really powerful, but how do we forgive ourselves? And of course, there's many different conversations around forgiveness and, you know, talk to a therapist about these kinds of things. But for me, I've always like, why don't we forgive ourselves? Like, what is it that literally is getting in the way? And the thing that I came up with is the idea that, you know, the the reason we don't forgive ourselves is because we're struggling to trust ourselves. Something happened in the past where we trusted ourselves. We had a belief that this was right for me. I should do this. I should say this. I should date this person. I should work this job. And then ultimately it hurt us in some way. And then we've developed this resistance to trusting ourselves again. So really, if we could learn to trust ourselves again, forgiveness follows suit. So instead of leeching on the words like self-forgiveness and I need to heal myself, great words, don't get me wrong. I think we get more practical and say, I just need to trust myself again. And sometimes it's as simple as affirming that. I trust myself that in this moment, you know, back to the ego idea, I can handle whatever comes next. That's the idea of forgiveness that I think makes it much more approachable. And then good things can only come from that. So just realizing that in the past, when you maybe messed up or you drained yourself or you did something that ultimately in hindsight you realized was wrong, that doesn't mean you can't trust yourself again. Trusting yourself again means I trust myself in the present now to make a more informed decision. And specifically the idea that a lot of times in life we struggle, like if we had something good and then we lost it or it changed, we have this weird human assumption that good things don't happen twice in life, which is a, a obviously a, a hugely limiting belief. So I think you compound the idea of trusting yourself again with believing that good things absolutely happen more than once in life. That happened 10, 20, 30 times. It might be a different version. It might be a version you never expected. But to think that if you found love once or passion once or confidence once and then you lost it, to think that you'll never find it again, I think is a, obviously, I think we'd all agree, is a debilitating, limiting belief. So I think somewhere in the mix there between trusting yourself, believing in that good things can happen more than once, I think therein lies the key to, to, to hope and, and belief in the present. I am the absolute worst person at staying present. I hate it about myself, but I'm trying to give myself the grace, like you said, to work through it and trust myself. I think it's more, my anxiety is, you know, obviously it's based in control and I just, I'm always like, okay, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? But it's, I'm not there yet. And I'm trying to just be like, Carly, calm the hell down. (laughs) like One minute at a time. But unfortunately it's, it's a learning process. We're getting through it. So Case, we have a lot of people that come on here and under mental health advocates specifically that say journaling can be very therapeutic and helpful. And I don't know why it is such a daunting task to me. I don't know if it's just if when I'm especially unmotivated and I just to think, oh, I have to wake up, I have to do this like 10 minutes, blah, 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 blah. It's so rigorous. 
Um, obviously you have your journal that, that kind of gives you a step-by-step 60 day process, but for someone that's starting and someone maybe like me that thinks it has to be this grand thing, where do I start or where would you say is a good place to start? Yeah. I mean, you're talking to the right guy. I mean, all I do is think about journaling and create journaling. I was in Dallas yesterday leading a journal workshop for 200 executives at this real estate company. It's all I think about how to make it more approachable for whether you're in nursing or whether you're in real estate or whether you're a musician. I mean, I, I think the, the the answer is get a get a better journal for one. I think a lot of the reason, personally, the reason that I struggled initially to get into journaling, and I went out and bought dozens of journals, is because most journals fall into one of two categories. One, they're way too open. It's unprompted, like a, a bullet journal or create your own journal. It's like, share how you're feeling. For me, type A, ADD, I can't do that. I get distracted immediately, and I feel overwhelmed with the fact that I have to choose my own adventure from the beginning. And then there's on the flip side, there's a lot of journals that Frankly, it's too much. It's, hey, in the morning, journal this, come back at noon, hold yourself accountable at night, talk about your day. It's like that stresses me out more than any benefit. So, you know, I would say I have created a series of journals that really live in the middle, but not selling my journals. There's many great journals out there that sit in the middle between prompted and unprompted. And really, I think the value of a journal is in the question it asks because There are, you know, sitting down and journaling every day and simply going through the motions of saying, I feel grateful for this. I love my life because this, or here's a goal and something I'm going to work towards today. That is all well and good, truly. But as humans, we're wired to just say what sounds good. And if every day you're saying I'm helpful for health and friends, it's like, is that really an honest answer or can we get deeper? And I think getting deeper is what incentivizes you to continue to journal. So you should journal with intensity that is journal for questions that are hard hitting, that are really deep, deeply rooted. You're going to get burned out and it's boring to answer the same question every day. Check in. How are you? How are you feeling? Those are good calibrating questions. But if you're not asking yourself a deep question, what is the incentive to continue to move forward? So I really recommend a journal that asks you really difficult questions. You could find many online. I've created them. There are many people out there who are good at asking hard hitting questions, but that is the value of journaling. It is is self Q&A. So you have to you have to be asking yourself a question. Um, and there's many different styles. I mean, I think, a, you know, it's it's prompted and unprompted. It gives you a prompt that it gives you freedom to answer it in your own way. So you don't feel pressured to, to say certain things. So um, to me, that is the the, you know, format that works best that kind of taps into human psychology of giving you incentive to actually do it. Um, and then just like, I mean, like, practically speaking, like, what is the value of writing something down? right? My whole thing is I want people to share their feelings more, but I also want people to write their feelings more. Like there, there's a lot of psychology and neuroscience behind mind and body connection for one of literally just taking something from your head and your heart and writing it down. There's a big difference between that and trying to work something out in your head. But then also just practically speaking in life, we write important things down, right? If you have a math problem, you're not going to try to do it in the head. You write it down. Important phone number, you write it down even important life decisions. I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm at a crossroads and I need to make a decision, a yes or no to something, I'll make a pros and cons list. I'll write it down. I'll make a pros and cons list and I'll stare at it and then I'll make the decision. I think so. I think we could all agree that we write important things down in life. But the most important thing, how we feel, how we make sense of life, we try to work it out in our heads, which is just kind of a bananas thought. It's like, why don't we give ourselves the, the due diligence of writing things down so we can make better decisions? 
and I don't know why, maybe we're rushed or maybe we think it's sappy or maybe who knows. But I, I think there's just a lot of practicality to be said about sharing your feelings and writing your feelings down. Um, and then, of course, finding the journal that makes sense for you. So I could talk all day about journaling, but <laughs> I think just incentivizing yourself to have a why behind it, that will get you in a habit of doing it. I think my brain just goes back to my very cringe fifth grade diary that was like, he looked at me in class. My backpack yeah, spilled yeah. out. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're 30 now. We, we can, I think yeah, we upgraded. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those were the days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And I've talked about this before, but when I first like was introduced to therapy, journaling was homework. And I mm. was like, if this is not graded, do I really need to do it? And so I'd just, just be like, I forgot to do the journaling piece and I am so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I just yeah. like did not want to do it because it just didn't feel like what I needed. Um, but now I feel like it's incredibly helpful. But again, it needs to be tailored to the person. And like you said, there's there's more to it than just like, here's a piece of paper, write something. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, are there journals out there like for nurses and, and people in healthcare because um, I, I think I think a lot about like industry specific journals like I've created journals for relationships for clarity for anxiousness I have a friend who's working on one for salespeople because I think salespeople need mindfulness I, I think people in healthcare absolutely need it so someone should create one specifically tailored um, in that sense there is one because it's called the someone made a journal called the overtime journal for nurses. It's called overtime, a journal for nurses. And it's made specifically by a nurse. I haven't dived into it myself, but I know someone who has used it. So if anyone's looking for a journal that's specifically for nurses, I'll yeah. plug that one. Check that out. <laughs> well, Case, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, No, not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hot on this idea as practical and silly as it sounds of the, the power of sharing your feelings and the power of writing down your feelings. I mean, truly, that is the only way to break through the noise of life, the way that we borrow from other people in life. And I think somewhere in your feelings are the answers that you want. And not just because it's become kind of a trope now, right? Oh, share your feelings, like be vulnerable, because there, there's power in it. Like there's literally power. I at this thing I was talking about yesterday, I was like, what do you get when you practice mindfulness? And like people are like, I don't, I don't really know. What do you get? Well, I, I know what you get. You get two things and it's very incentivizing. You get closure and you get clarity. Two C's, it's easy to remember. And I think if you're living your life with an incentive to find and create closure for yourself, that is closure from a past chapter, allowing yourself to forgive yourself, trust yourself, believe in goodness a second time and move forward, even amidst things that don't make sense and clarity in the present. Is this a yes? Is this a no? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And allowing yourself to change your mind, of course. The gift of life is reinventing yourself. But I think if you're incentivized at any given moment, amidst many unknowns, to operate from a place of, in what ways can I give myself closure or clarity today? I don't think you're going to have a whole lot to regret. You still might not know exactly where you're headed in life. But I think the idea of operating from closure and clarity, that's, that's power. And that's all you can ask of yourself. I think you should be kind to yourself within that, within that, being kind to yourself, but also powerful and in your power, knowing that you can create closure and clarity for yourself. And I think mindfulness, a journaling practice, whatever form you want to get into, I think it can always, always, always help you. And, you know, your answers are in here. They're not necessarily out there with other people. And that's why I think it's a bold thing 
to stand up to pressure and rushing and supposed to be's and all these different things that threaten to distract us and just find your power in, in your closure and clarity. So a little bit of a sound bite there, I suppose, but um, I yes. think it's, it's important. <laughs> no, write that down, right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Case. This has been such a privilege to have you with us. And to anyone listening, you can follow him on Instagram at Case underscore Kenny to see all of his projects and what he's working on in particular his journals because I feel like I need to get me a copy and also his book that's bold of you thank you so much Case this has been such a great conversation bye friends thank you